Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? It's your boy Logan here with the Class in Session podcast. I am your host, Logan Taylor, with my amazing co-host, my brother, my partner in crime. Oh, man, Mr. Dante Hampton. We got a special guest for you all today. Dante, would you mind introducing our special guest? Yes, yes, yes. We got a special guest um, who is from, let's make sure we get this right, because she, she already was on my head about this so let's make sure we get this right she's from fort washington maryland is that correct yes pg okay, county okay. Um, okay pg county got it just so everybody know um she graduated from the university of south aka swanee which is a very prestigious school um back in 2019 she moved to chattanooga where she began her um teaching career um under the program project inspired teaching residency um she also did a year at um, Brandon High School before she graduated with her master's in art from Lee University, which is about 35 minutes from Chattanooga, another prestigious school as well. Um, and now she's began teaching at Howard Howard High School, which is a very, um, they actually had Bill Gates come to our school. Is that correct? I think yeah, Bill Gates. Yeah, I think that was the year before I started. Okay. Um, yeah. So this this is a school that's growing um, at a rapid rate. Um, they're literally in in the middle, like the heart of downtown. A lot of history down there for you Chattanooga people out there, or for you tours out there. Um, yeah. Just 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 give us a little bit more about how you got into teaching and everything. Tell the people what they want to know. So, um, well, first of all, thanks y'all for having me. This is really exciting. This is my first podcast ever, so I'm like nervous, but I think it's gonna go well. Um, I never like thought I wanted to teach. I always thought it was important, but it's just not a role that I saw myself in. Um, I got my bachelor's in psychology. And so I thought I was going to do something with like therapy for a really long. And then my freshman year, I went on an outreach trip to Miami and the service trip was to work in a school. And we were just kind of helping the kids throughout the week. They had a little project they had to do. Um, but as you can imagine, Miami has an incredibly large Hispanic population and I am bilingual. So when I got there, the kids in my group all spoke Spanish and it was only myself and another girl on the trip that actually spoke enough Spanish to be able to like, you know, get them through their lesson. And so the other people in our group had student groups of like five or six and she and I had like 10 or 12 just because of, you know, how the class was broken up. And the first thing that like kind of threw me off about that was we were supposed to be working in um, an ex-ed classroom. So kids with like, you know, learning disabilities and things like that. And I was just like, well, why would you have Hispanic students in here? Like them not being able to speak English is not a learning disability. That's just a language barrier whole other set of you know strategies you should probably be using to teach them content and then it hurt my heart when we would ask like the actual classroom like teacher of record you know well what's this kid's story what's you know what's up with this kid and for the students that spoke english and really did just have learning disabilities she was you know knowledgeable she was fine she was great with them when it came down to the kids in my group she was like oh well you don't have to worry about them they're not going to do any work they're lazy they're da 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 and even at, like even though my students didn't know what she was saying she could like they could tell she didn't really mess with them there was a clear difference in how she interacted with her other students versus 
them specifically. And I was just like, I mean, I'm here for a week. I'm not going to sit here and stare at y'all for 50 minutes every single day so we can get some work done. And I just decided to talk to them in their native language. And they had so many questions about the content. And it was funny at the end of the day on our way back to like the hostel where we were staying, kind of a breakdown of like how the day went, what we learned, what we experienced. And myself and the other girl who had the Spanish speaking groups would be exhausted because they had so many questions that they weren't allowed to ask during the school year because they didn't have anybody to talk to. Um, and so like one of the kids even told me like, our teacher doesn't like us. She won't talk to us. Do you have to go? Cause I really want to learn, but she won't help us. And so from then, like I had such a good experience there that I was like, Hmm, you know, maybe education might, there might be something to this. Um, and then a friend who graduated the year before me did Project Inspire, and he said he had a good experience. And he and I had like talked at length in undergrad just about education and you know why it's so important and why we need teachers of color in front of students of color. And he was like, "You need to do this program." So I did, and here I am. I love it. I love, I love it. it. I love it. That's awesome. So Chandler, um, being from being being from PG County, being from Maryland, um, what what made you just say? Well, I guess you kind of told that in a sense, but um, I'll do it this way. What is a common myth about the job um, that you that you've noticed? Right, I know that you've just really got into education and things of that nature. But what is a common myth that before you became a teacher, because you got your psychology degree and you were thinking you were going to do there do something in regards to like therapy, working in that field? What is a common myth that you're like, okay, yeah, this ain't what I thought it was. Mm. that teachers don't need their summer break. Like, even now, my family members who are not educators think, oh, well, you so lucky you get your whole summer off, you do X, Y, Z. Baby, do you know how tired I am right now in July? Like, exhausted even thinking about school going back in three weeks. And, like, people per se, but I don't think people outside of education really realize how many hats you have to wear as a teacher. Because I don't get to show up and just teach content. Like, I have to address my kids' social-emotional needs before anything. Otherwise, they're not going to learn from me. So I have to make sure, like, are you having a good day? Are you in a good headspace? Is whatever you told me about last week still bothering you? Um, did you eat last night? What's going on at home? What's going on at work? Like all of these other things. And, you know, it's just not, it's not as black and white as people think that it is. And it is like this incredibly intricate and complicated and beautiful job. Um, but it's not something you can half-heartedly do either. Like, I think a lot of people feel like you can just kind of show up and teach. And if you're like, you know, a master of your content. And that is one thing I will say, I noticed a huge difference between my college professors and my master's program professors because I got my MA in teaching. So all of my professors were former classroom teachers. 
And the way that they deliver content and deliver instruction is completely different than my professors in college because they are experts in their field, but they're not trying to teach. They are facilitating us through our own teaching because at that point, like in college, it's kind of on you. You know, you got to figure out your own study habits and that kind of thing. But with my master's program professors, they were teaching us instruction and using them to teach us. So it was way more engaging than I ever realized like a graduate level course could be. Um, so that kind of like solidified that difference for me and people thinking like, oh yeah, you just kind of show up and know what you're talking about and you go home. And it's just not that simple. Like you could do that, um, but it wouldn't be effective. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. So what, what are some things that you've noticed with working um, in urban schools, right? Because I do know that working at Howard, it is starting to become uh, more uh, predominantly Hispanic, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. And so what are some of the, what are some of the like culture differences that you're noticing? Because Howard used to be a predominantly um, African-American school. So what are some of the differences that you're seeing culture-wise versus with um, being it with it being in the past an African-American in school and where it's going to the future with predominantly being Hispanic at the moment, what are some of the cultural differences that you're seeing? So I think about this a lot. Um, when I was looking for a school to work at, I really wanted to work at what's considered a high need school. Um, I'm a product of PG County Public Schools and I went to a school that's demographically very similar to Brainerd. Um, and we got a bad rap. Everybody thought we was hood, whatever. I don't care. Because um, we cranked out scholars. Um, but when I was looking into the history of Howard, I was very interested and intrigued by the fact that it was like the only school Black people could go to post, you know, slavery or whatever. And I was like, that, to me, that's really important, right? Um, I teach history, so like I'm all about the history of places. When I saw that, I was like, okay, this is a place I need to be at. And I had just heard so many fantastic things about Dr. Ware, and everyone was just like, if you get a chance to work with Leandria Ware, you need to go. Um, so when I got there, I could understand why like Howard grads in Chattanooga go so hard for that city. I mean, for that school because it is so important. And as a teacher there, I guess I kind of had this expectation that the students would still carry that same sense of pride with them. Like, I'm a Howard Hustlin Tiger, and this school is not, it's bigger than me, right? It's not just a school I'm forced to be at, but this school is historic for a reason. And we do have some kids that, like, still carry that. But what you see with our Hispanic population is there's a very clear divide in work ethic, um, a lot of our Hispanic students are fresh from Guatemala for the most part, some from Mexico, some from Honduras. And where they're coming from, if you don't have money, you don't go to school past like fourth or fifth grade, maybe sixth grade if you're lucky. And then they just go to work. So when they come here, for a lot of them, their focus is getting an education, language barrier or not. And so for me as a teacher who like, is black and is all for the empowerment and the growth of black students. Sometimes it's like, I have this kid 
And because he looks like me and because I look like him and I know what's on the other side of school for them, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing for them to be the best that they can be. But they don't want it. And then I have this Hispanic kid that, you know, can't speak a lick of English, is fighting sleep in my class because they work from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. and get on the bus to school straight from work. And they're trying their hardest. It's just like, oh, like if only y'all knew, you know, what your other classmates were going through. Because not that long ago, somebody who looked like you was going through the same thing for you to be able to sit in this seat right now and take it for granted. So it's a huge, huge, like, divide in that way. Um, But part of the beautiful thing about the diversity of Howard is that our kids don't look at each other as different for the most part. Like people assume just because we got a whole bunch of black kids and Hispanic kids in the building, it's a mess every day. And it's really not. Um, they have grown up with around each other. So it's part of their norm. And they learn a lot from each other in terms of like their customs and different foods and the language that is spoken. And what's cool for me is that because I use my Spanish in my class. For my Hispanic kids, especially the ones that don't speak a lot of English, it makes them feel like, okay, I can still build a relationship with this teacher because I can talk to her and we can joke and laugh in the same way that she does with the kids that speak English. But for my Black students, it's like, this is a Black lady speaking full-blown Spanish. And for a lot of them, it's not something they've ever seen before. So they'll it give, uh, give it two weeks. They'll be like, Mr. Davenport, can you teach me Spanish? Can you teach me how to say X, Y, and Z? And I'll be like, yeah. Why not? Like, you know, Um, so there's it's a big old melting pot. But when it comes down to that work, I think it's always something I I struggle with. Like, I want to motivate them, but I can't do it at the expense of these kids that are ready to receive and ready to learn. I love that. I love that. And hey, shout out to to Dr. Ware. She is an amazing, amazing, amazing principal. She uh, brought us in to speak uh, probably 2019. Yeah, 2019. We came and spoke, uh, did a speaker's assembly there for the whole school. And, you know, she's amazing. I love Dr. Ware. So she's amazing. She's a perfect fit for Howard. She's a perfect Mm -hmm. principal. She won principal of the year, like all of that. She is amazing. Like, I, I love Dr. Ware. Come on, Dante, jump in. Um, I just want to uh, harp on for the listeners out there, because um, I think you're the first teacher we've had on here so far um, that's been bilingual, um, in a sense. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Logan. I think so. So we're going to give you some silent claps on that. Um, yeah, she but is. She is. She is. She's the first. Full okay. blown. She said she can speak full-blown Espanol. So I love it. And I think that that's super dope. But go ahead, bro. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, just just. Uh, um, do you think um, do you think there is a difference when it comes to a language barrier as far as scores and as far as you um, as far as kids getting that content? Because, you know, everybody has a barrier. Like, let's say I'm behind on reading. How does that look as far as if you have a language barrier and you're behind? Does that make things twice as hard or are you are you showing any difficulties or constraints in that area right there? That definitely um, adds a layer to it, because 
you got to think of it this way, right? When a lot of my kids get to me, the last time they were in school is fourth, fifth, sixth grade, like that late elementary school, early middle school range. Then you have to look at what their standards are in that area versus what our standards are. So if they're on par, at best, I'm getting a kid that's been out of school for three years. If it's anywhere below, I'm getting somebody in the ninth grade that is really on like our version of a first or second grade level in terms of content and understanding oh. and like their ability to, you know, think critically about things. And I teach world or I taught world history. Um, so we're going over these big concepts like imperialism and, you know, totalitarianism. And that's a hell of a word in English and it ain't no better in Spanish. So trying to get my kids <laughs> yeah. that is just like, you know, we have to break it down. So like one of the things that really kind of struck me, we were going through our imperialism unit, right? And it fell around Guatemalan and Mexican Independence Day because they're like within one day of each other in September. And I was like, okay, so, you know, y'all, we're just today. And everybody was able to tell me it's Independence Day. I was like, okay, so when you go home, what you finna do? We have a fiesta and we cook this and we do that and da da da. And I said, okay, now why do you celebrate this day? And they didn't know. They had no idea. And I was like, well, there goes my hook because I was banking on being able to have them tell me the story of Guatemala in order to make imperialism make sense. And then when they didn't know that, I was like, oh, okay. So we really have to start from square one. And then when you add the language barrier on top of that, you know, it just kind of makes a lot of our kids feel defeated. Um, and I don't know if y'all know this, but Tennessee is an English only state, which that is beyond me because there's no, you know, like there's no language for the country. We don't have an official language. So how Tennessee decided we only speak English is whatever. Yep. Um, so technically, you are not allowed to deliver instruction in any other language but English. So when they take their EOCs, they don't get language accommodations. Um, the best they can do is like give them extra time or like time and a half which for the wrong kid is just, you know, an hour extra to feel stupid, like they can't do it. Um, so I cheat. I use my Spanish because the way I think about it is my job is to teach content. And if I have a special set of skills that allows me to do that, I'm going to do it. 11 times out of 10, I'm going to do it because my kids are worth that much. Um, but I have noticed that like when I talk to my kids in their language, they pick it up so much faster. Because why, as a teacher, would I let my students struggle for 25 minutes on Google Translate that's probably going to give them the wrong you know, context anyway, and then release them to go do this assignment, and then they get it wrong, and then they feel like, well, what did I do all that work for if it's still not right? Um, so it's just, it definitely does add that extra layer because you're trying to play catch up in terms of their actual content. And then you still have to address that language barrier situation. So, and I have like, we do have some kids that have come to us that don't speak very much Spanish, but they did go to school for a lot longer. So the gap there isn't as great. And it really is just the language thing. Um, 
But for that's not the case for most of our kids. Most of them are behind, like content wise and schooling wise and language wise. So I love it. I love your hustle. Oh man. Oh, I love your hustle. Like your hustle and your grind. And this is only your second year, correct? Going into my third, yep. Oh man, yeah. Bro, you on fire right now. Don't lose, don't do yeah. not lose that fire. Like don't lose that passion. Don't lose the the intentionality. Don't lose the ability to to build relationship with your scholars. Like don't do not lose that. Like I love every single bit of what you're talking about right now. And like Dante said, you are the first guest that we've had that's bilingual. And so I really think that that's amazing because now we're tapping into a culture that's not really that that a lot of times it's looked over, mm -hmm. right? They they're looked over, they're underserved, right? And in a and in and in a lot of ways we can relate to both cultures because we've been as African Americans we've been that way as well, right? They they underserve our our scholars in the urban schools. So mm -hmm. what do we have to do because of how you know? people before us right that instill things you know our ancestors and things of that nature it's like okay we're gonna turn water into wine and we're gonna figure it out and we're gonna make this shape and now now look at you like you said earlier you said hey i'm from pg county i went to this school and they just thought we wasn't doing anything and then you said look at look they we was pumping out scholars and you just did like this you know what i'm saying like it's like being proud of that and having that opportunity and so i think well, where you're at right now with being at Howard, I think that that's perfect. It's a perfect fit. It's a perfect match because you can relate to that. You come from that. You've experienced that. So now you're trying to literally help these scholars that are coming into Howard. You're literally trying to help them and cultivate them and help them see the phenomenal people that they are. So I think that that's amazing. I tip my hat to you for that. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's real good. That's that's real good. Um, we we gonna we gonna put you in the hot seat a little bit. I'm I'm gonna ask a little off the wall question for it, cause cause you 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 kind of newbie, so everybody answer these type of questions differently. But since you're a newbie, is there a number you think a teacher should make? And we only asking you because this is year three for you. So is there a number or is there a value that a teacher should start out? So for you, you know, this is year three coming in, Miss Davenport. Hey, you're about to sign here. You're going to be teaching here. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, write in the amount. What should you make? I think like intro level teacher, you just have your undergrad degree. You should be starting out at like 70, 75 off top. And then okay. master's 80, 85 range doctorate 9095 range because what people don't realize is how much freaking work we put in outside of the classroom like i do not have the luxury of my job being from nine to four that's just not it you know what i mean like on my planning period i got a million other things i got to take care of so like it's really cut in half between okay i gotta do this for my class but i also gotta run and talk to this person and that too is part of who I am and like being a teacher leader is like I'm not the teacher that shows up at 8 45 and is out the door at 4 15 
Like I'm assistant softball coach at my school. I'm in two fellowships this year and I'm part of the equity and action committee for Missionary Ridge. So I wear a lot of different hats outside of just being a teacher. So my Hold time on, wait, time, time out, time out. Don't walk past that. You better, hey, you better pop your stuff. You hear me? <laughs> you better um, pop it. So this, going into year three, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty cool. Like, I got my classroom management down. I'm really getting acclimated to Howard. I love it here. I wanted to step it up professionally. Um, and I wanted to look for different ways to grow as an educator because as educators, we're students constantly. You have to learn. You have to be able to keep up. You got to adjust. So Hamilton County rolled out this um, act like lead teacher program and it's the inaugural cohort and I applied and I got into that. So I was super excited. And the Tennessee Educators of Color um, program does a fellowship every single year. And I was like, I really want to do that one, too, because I've had conversations with Dr. Darius George, who's amazing um, and have done a couple of things with like Tekka here and I applied and I went two for two and I was super excited for that. And then I'm really passionate about diversity, equity and inclusion with intention. Like, don't say the words and then don't do nothing, because that was a big fight we had at Swanee, especially with admissions. Like, yeah, y'all recruiting these black kids, but it is no longer a myth for black kids to be like college etiquette coming from college educated families. So don't recruit them and not have things here to retain them. So I'm real big on doing that with a purpose and making it sustainable. So when um, Cassie Davis approached me, she was like, hey, your name got recommended to me um, as somebody who's passionate about these kinds of things. We would love to have you on the Equity and Action Committee. And they kind of broke us up into um, learning communities. And like we're like, hey, we want leads for each community. And I was like, I don't know if I can do it by myself because it's a lot. Um, but a fantastic teacher by the name of Catherine Castleman, also a Swanee grad, shout out to her, agreed to um, be co-lead with me. So we're kind of like over the whole Missionary Ridge in that aspect together. So I'm really excited to do that work and dive into that with her this school year. Congratulations. That's Thank big. You. you hear that PG passion back there? That PG passion back there? Okay. PG passion, man. Listen, she over here getting to it. I love it. You're doing two fellowships and you're a co-lead for, for diversity. What'd you say? Diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, it's the technically it's the equity and action committee, but that's what we look at. Is okay, gotcha. Well, congratulations. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So let me ask you this. What is one piece of advice that you would give to somebody that wants to start out in your career? Hmm. One piece of advice. It's stated all the time, but it cannot be overstated. Relationships are everything. Your relationships with your kids are everything. They are more than their student ID number. They are more than their projected growth. Um, they are more than their ACEs, all of their adverse childhood experiences. They are human beings. And you have to treat them like that. Like people are, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you gotta be, you know, mean for the first two weeks of school. And I'm not a mean person. Like, you're not gonna play with me. And I'll make that known very quickly, but I'm not mean. 
like I treat my kids like people. We have fun. We have, you know, we laugh and joke and da da da. But they know in Miss Davenport's classroom, when it's time to work, I'm not gonna get up off your neck. We're gonna get something done because I think you are. And I tell my kids this all the time when they be complaining. Well, Miss So and So doesn't da 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 da. Mrs. So and So. I'm sorry, they don't have the expectations for you. But I love you enough to want you to do well. So this is how this is gonna go in here. And that's just that. Like I'm not, I'm not letting y'all slack. Because as a as a teacher, that's not my job. But as a black woman, I know what people reduce you to. You have no idea that there are people at the local, state, federal government level reducing you to your test scores from the third grade. They don't care that maybe your house burned down when right before you took your EOC. They don't care that your mom was doing X, Y, and Z right before you took your EOC. None of that matters to them because it's not in your file. They reduced you to the score that you got. And that's my beef with America and how we handle certain situations. But me in knowing that, I put that into my kids. And I'm very transparent with them. Like, this is how this works when you get up out of here. So, no, I'm not going to baby you because that's not doing you any type of service. And you might hate me for it right now. I'm a grown woman. I can take that. You can have an attitude with me right now. Case in point, my dad was my basketball coach, and I used to hate that man when we was in practice. <laughs> I hated him so bad. I never wanted anybody to say that I was getting playing times. I was his daughter. So he pushed me like 10 times as hard as everybody else. And he was like, you can hate coach, but you're going to love your dad. And that's the approach I take to teaching. You can hate me in class, but at the end of the day, you cannot say that I don't love you and that you don't love me. Because I always kept it real with you and I always pushed you to do the best that you could. And even kids that I like butted heads with throughout the school year, they'll see me in the hallway and be like, hey, Miss Davenport. Or kids will ask them about me and be like, man, Miss Davenport class not even harsh. That's all I ask. Listen, you just, man, you just, you just lit stuff on fire. Like, oh my God. Like, we was over here like this. We was over. I was me and Dante was over here fanning like, yeah, bro. Man, we trying to put you out. We trying to put you out. Listen. Oh, I love it, bro. She gonna have home school or be a superintendent or she gonna be doing something big. She gonna be moving up in education. Principal by five years. Principal by five years. All right, we calling it principal by five years on the classes session podcast. You didn't heard it here first. Chandler Davenport. We making the announcement. Principal PG County. Future principal. I'm receiving that. I'm receiving that. Go ahead, Dante. But since, since we're talking on a national level, since you hit all that, um, since we're talking on a national level, national scale here, um, if there's something you could change on the, let's say you was meeting with the Department of Education and they said, hey, Miss Davenport, you have the floor. You can change anything you want, one thing on a national level, but it has to affect everything across the country, from California all the way to Florida to New York, Texas, global. What would it be? Mm. Keep in mind, this is on a large scale now, so you can't think, you know, PG County, Chattanooga, we saying it has to be uniform. It has to be across. Ooh, okay. This might shake the table a little bit. That's what we like. This is what we like right here. This is what we like. 
I drum roll, please. I would reverse no child left behind because it has res like maybe not reverse it entirely. We would definitely need to amend it though, because to me, what I have seen and have read about happening is kids just getting passed for the sake of being passed because they don't want them to be in like staying in that same grade level. However, right, if you pass a kid from the third grade and they have not mastered those second grade standards, they haven't met those marks that they need to succeed in third grade, they're one year behind. If you pass them to fourth grade, knowing they didn't do well in third grade because they didn't do well in second grade, they're now two years behind. And that trend continues. Like a lot of my freshmen... And, you know, COVID did have a big role in this. I do have to say that. But a lot of my freshmen were like three, four years behind on their reading and math. And that was kind of what, like, frustrated me with teaching hybrid is I felt like there was a lot of pressure from the state level. Well, teachers need to do X, Y, and Z, and teachers need to do da 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 And I was just like, okay, well, we only been in this pandemic for a year. And I got kids that's three, four, five years behind where they should be. So what about that? What about these other four years where, you know, somebody should have been saying, hey, this kid is behind. What do we do to catch them up before they get to high school? Because now I'm supposed to teach a very vocab heavy um, class and I have students that cannot read, like period. So I think we should definitely amend that in a way where we're not just passing kids because we don't want to see them again. I had a conversation with a, a grandparent about a student who it was strange because this kid was completely illiterate. Like they couldn't read at all. They were 14, 15 on a kindergarten reading level. Couldn't write either. But they had the ability to, they were auditory learners. Like I would say something one time and then I would ask for that information maybe two, three days later, possibly a week later. And that kid would be able to tell me, you know, what the answer was. And it wasn't like, oh, they just mindlessly regurgitate information. Like they answered it with the proper context and it made sense to them. And I was just like, if somebody had recognized that this kid had that ability, he would easily be at the top of my class. However, this kid was a handful. Like they had ADHD, real, real bad. Um, they like to talk with other kids. And I think a lot of that was exacerbated by the fact that they couldn't read or write. So there was nothing else for them to do. Right. Um, so when I spoke to their grandfather, their grandfather was just like, well, I don't understand how they're this low, like how nobody ever told me. And I was like, I really hate to tell you this. But it's highly possible that they were just being passed along from grade to grade because there's such a handful in class that teacher didn't want to deal with them anymore. And we see that we see that more often than not. My boyfriend's a teacher, too. And like our kind of inside joke is anytime we're talking about a kid, it's a handful. The sentence starts off with they're so smart, but. Because it's usually the kids that are like your behavior risk or that are a handful that are the smartest ones in the room. But they've either learned to 
student because past teachers have told them that they're not because they don't look like what we think education looks like. Um, or they've just been reprimanded so many times, they just don't even have a good time in school. And then 25 years from now, we're going to be looking around crazy, like, why don't we have more teachers of color? They didn't have fun at school. Why would you expect them to come back to a place that traumatized them? Like, that doesn't make sense. So it's just like, I would I would undo that or amend it in a way that we ain't passing kids aimlessly. Like, you can't pass a kid... You, you cannot pass a kid to the next grade or next level because you don't vibe with them. And that goes back to what I said about relationships. Cause that kid was a handful in everybody else's class and he was a handful in mine, but he and I had a relationship. So whereas like he would have his moments where he just had to get up and go talk to people and do whatever. I get that. That's what you need. So here's the compromise, right? Cause while that's what you need, Everybody else may not need that. So how do we get it to where we can all function in here together? And I had about six or seven kids in that class just like that. So it was a constant like, okay, y'all, here we go. We reestablishing these boundaries. We reestablishing these norms. And we got it to where it was functioning pretty smoothly. Was I exhausted at the end of every day? Absolutely. Was it worth it? Yes. It's just, it's one of those things, but you, you should not be able to pass a kid because you don't want to see them again. Because in the long run, you are not doing that kid any type of service. That's the first, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Ms. Davenport, that's the first, with that question, you're the first person to bring that up. Um, that, that's, that's very, that's very interesting perspective right there. I actually like that um i'm actually not a fan of Ch no child left behind as well simply because of the curriculum that we did in the elementary school which is our first op opportunity want to shout out mr, mr. thurkill who's our very first guest on the podcast as well um but he gave us an opportunity and um we had some kids that was literally uh rising fifth graders and it was on kindergarten reading levels mm -hmm. and uh we was able to help that kid bump up three levels but you just see that so much with kids being so far behind on that. Um, so that was that was very, that was very good. Very, 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 very good. Very interesting, by the way. Man, let me let me say this as well. I'm sorry to cut you off, Dante. Let me say this as well. With the kid, with Mr. Thurkill giving us that opportunity and the young man that was at the kindergarten level that bumped up three red three reading levels. None of that would have been possible if we wasn't intentional with building a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. None of that would have been possible, right? Like he wasn't the only one, but he was the one that 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 grew the most out of out of the the ten kids that we had that went through our curriculum development program and stuff like that. He was the one that grew the most, and he had the biggest target on his back, and so me and Dante could relate to that, right? Like I was one of those kids, like the kid, the, the kids that you're describing when you were talking about no child left behind and things of that nature, I was one of those kids. The teacher would say, Logan is extremely smart. Logan is, Logan has, it has one of the brightest minds I've ever seen, but I, but I acted out, right? I'm always disturbing class. I'm trying to be the class clown. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting into fights. I'm being disrespectful to the teacher, like all of those different things. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I can think of maybe on one hand, maybe three teachers that really just poured into me and loved on me. And I know if it wasn't for them and other people during my, you know, during my journey of going through school and becoming an adult, like I know if I would have never encountered those individuals, then I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that that's like so important and I can go on a tangent to, you know, talk about that, but I was one of the worst, you know what I'm saying? I got kicked out of Hamilton County schools and stuff like that and had to go to alternative school and, and different things like that and was behind, right? Like I was, I was supposed to graduate, if I'm not mistaken, um, a year before, maybe two years before. And um, I got, once I was in alternative school, I got on track and I got on, got in my right grade and they put me, it put me um, in the right position so that that way I would graduate on time. So I commend you for what you said, like no child left behind. Like I'm a very, 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 very big fan of what you said. Cause that was, that's huge. Like, you know what I'm saying? Even with my son, like my son has, uh, has a learning disability. And so he has an IEP, you know what I'm saying? And things of that nature. And so he, you know, he's a special needs individual. And I can remember with him being in elementary school, and just getting passed through. He wouldn't do any of his homework. Mm-hmm. Like when I say nothing, like I used to be, oh, I used to be so frustrated. And I would be talking to Dante. He'd be like, bro, it's okay, bro. Like, you know, it's just it's just elementary, bro. And I'm like, bro, that ain't the point. Mm-hmm. Dante, Dante would be like, bro, it's just elementary. Like he going to get through this. Like I'm telling you, bro, my nephew, he going he gonna to change it. I promise you, he going he gonna to pivot, bro. He going to do what he need to do. I'm like, bro. That's not the point. Like, I used to be so frustrated and annoyed because I'm like, I don't want my son to think like, oh, I ain't got to do nothing in school. They just going to pass me by. And now that's going to trickle down right into his life. And then he's going to feel like life is supposed to be that way. And then he has all these lavish dreams and these big ideas that he wants to do. And then he's not putting the work in because he thinks it's supposed to fall from the sky. I see that all the time with my students because my boyfriend teaches middle school and I teach high school and like we see kids they know by the time they get to us they know if we don't do x y and z you can't fail me because I got an IEP you have to give me my 70 and and then I ask my kids you know look what do you want to be when you grow up what do you want to do and they know what to say because I have a lot of kids oh I want to go to college I want to play basketball i want to play football and da, 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 da. that's all well and good how many times you been to practice this week what is your diet like because d1 athletes are not surviving off ramen noodles and hot cheetos um you want to go to college you want to get a scholarship what was your last test grade how many hours did you put in studying when you realized you didn't know this did you sit in your seat and not say anything or did you raise your hand and ask that question so they know what to say, but because we have robbed them at every turn of taking accountability for their education, they do not know how to put action behind it. They just think, oh, it's going to happen because, you know, you didn't do any work all of elementary school and you magically ended up in middle school and you didn't do any work in middle school and you magically ended up in high school. So we are reinforcing this idea that you just get to like. Essentially, like people always talk about manifestation. And yes, 
Put it in the universe. Speak it. Give life to it. But then put the action behind it. Just tell us all the time, don't pray for A and work for C. Because Jesus works miracles. However, he ain't going to mess with you if you get on your knees at night and be like, hey, Jesus, I know I ain't talked to you in six months, but I really need an A plus on this final so I can graduate. And you don't even know where your textbook at. It's dust all in your composition book, spider webs on your pencil pouch. Like you have to put the action behind whatever it is you are trying to claim. And we do not make our kids do that. We rob them at every turn of having some sort of autonomy and accountability. And we just be like, oh, it's okay. They're kids. They figure it out. They got it. And then we wonder why we are not meeting these goals as a county, as a state, as a country. This is funny. Like when Roe v. Wade got overturned, my boyfriend and I briefly entertained the idea of moving overseas because I was over it. And we started looking because we don't have biological kids. Um, we just have a dog. But we started looking at like, you know, what's the best education system in the country? And you could tell I was on American Wi-Fi because every w- website that popped up had the U.S. in the top 10. And I was like, that's us. That's definitely not true. But word, I'm going to let y'all rock out. But yeah, that we we need to put it back on the students and give them opportunities to be accountable and be responsible. Cause that is not something that you just like figure out when you turn 16 or whatever, like you have to practice that. Otherwise you will not be able to do it. I love it. I love it. You talking real spicy, but hold on real quick. We got to pay some bills and then I'm, and then we'll get back um, into some other questions real quick. Listen guys, this is the class and session podcast. Listen, 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 listen. If you like this episode, yes, I'm talking about this episode right here, right now. If you like this episode, I need you to comment, like, subscribe. All right. Those three things. Comment, like, subscribe. All right. Every time. Leave a review. Comment, like, subscribe. One, two, three. Uno, dos, tres. Hey, I need you. Uh, for the French people, ah, that look up. See, listen. So you know that. Look, look. You know hey. that. I got a little bit, just a little bit in there. A little bit, little bit. I love it. Hey, listen, guys. I need you to subscribe. All right, we need you to subscribe. And if you feel like we're adding value, leave a review and share it with your share it with your your people. Share it with your community. All right. All right. Let's get back into it. All right, Dante, go ahead. All right. So, um, let's let's see. I just. You know, dropped a lot of gems today, so we're just gonna do like a review. Um, Miss Davenport um, says she's big on relationships, uh, which is which is always good. Um, so for educators out there, uh, keep in mind for people who are listening, Miss Davenport talking like she's been doing this ten years and it's only been this is only year three. So so let's make sure everybody who's listening, who's tuning in, who's watching on YouTube or whatever you. However, you are looking at this through media. Let's keep in mind, PG County Finest is literally only been doing this. This will be her third year. Um, but she's dropping a lot of gems. Like I said, uh, another thing that I loved was um, the accountability on the students. Um, that's very big. I think that's a that's another highlight for our listeners out there and for our inspiring teachers, educators, counselors, or mentors. Make sure you put some accountability on those students. And I also like the being firm. Um, as you can see, she was very firm in her delivery. 
which means she's probably very firm in her classroom. Um, so let's let's just keep that in mind on everything. Um, with that being said, is there a, not necessarily a weakness, but is there something you think you need to improve on that could literally help you grow as an educator that somebody else might be struggling with out there? Um, definitely my organization and time management. Like I was that person, I would always buy a planner because it seemed good in theory. And then I would use it for like two weeks and I'll forget about it. Um, but with me going into my third year and I'm teaching a new subject, so I'm not teaching world history anymore. I'm teaching ACT prep, which is very exciting because the freshmen that I started teaching when I first got to Howard are the juniors now. So I have a lot of my babies back and I'm super amped for that. Um, but I never even took the ACT. In PG County, our standardized test, we have to take it to SAT. And that's what I needed to like get my scholarship or whatever. So I'm completely unfamiliar with the test, completely unfamiliar with how to prepare for it. But I'm just looking at it as an opportunity for growth. But because I'm building out my content and building out my class from like the beginnings, um, I've had to be very, very, very intentional about, okay, I'm dedicating this block of time to this, this block of time to this, this block of time to this. I'm getting much better about putting stuff in my calendar right then and there because I ran into a lot of like double conflicts last school year with just meetings and things. And then because of COVID and people can like be like, oh, we'll just get on the Zoom. People schedule three, four, five Zooms in a day, and I forget that they're all like within the same, you know, time span or whatever. So um, I'm definitely working on my organization skills and my time management and doing that in class too. Um, I remember in residency, shout out to Keontae Graham. He was my um, clinical instructor when I did my residency at Brainerd and like really helped me. Nah, Keontae, I know exactly who it is. Probably the only guy I know that's not from Michigan that's a Michigan fan. So if you watching yeah. this, you listen to this uh, podcast, Keontae, uh, we the Georgia boys did beat you up on y'all pretty bad, but you know we ain't gonna go into that. But you know he's the only dude I know, only literally professional I know that's not from Michigan, don't live nowhere near Michigan, and love Michigan. But shout out to Keontae though. He is ride or die. He was my clinical instructor, and I got really lucky having him. He's so dope and like. You, you know him. You know he's very laid back. He's very chill. Me in my classroom, I'm super animated. And from jump, he was just like, okay, so you and I are two different educators. And like my goal for you this year is for you to become the best teacher that you can be. Because even if you work at Brainerd next year, we won't be co-teaching. So you need to feel comfortable being who you are, how you are in front of your kids. And because I had such a good experience in residency with him, um, it really impacted the way that I teach now and how prepared I felt going into that first year to where I wasn't stressing over major stuff like classroom management and things like that because I had practiced it. He trusted me enough to lead his classroom um, by the end of the school year for weeks at a time, which I felt super blessed um, just to have that opportunity to be able to learn from him. And with me not being a Chattanooga native, it was super important that I get his perspective because there's a lot of cultural and regional specific things that would go over my head or that I wouldn't even know to think about when engaging with my kids that he has so much insight on. Um, and one of the things he would always help me with is like how to structure my lesson so that I stick to my time slots. And like, 
even to this day, I still map it out literally because I know me, I'll go on a tangent. If like I make a connection in my brain or if a kid asks a question that takes me this way. So that's probably one of the most valuable things he showed me. And I've used it these past two years and now I'm applying it to like everything else. So I'm like, yes, thank you, Keontae, for like all of that. But yeah, definitely my time management and my organization skills. I got to grow on that. Shout out, Keontae. Shout out, Mr. Graham, for that. We really Mr. appreciate Graham. that. Mr. G. <laughs> so shout out to him for that. Um, but for y'all people out there, uh, be mindful what she did say as far as time management and being organized in your classroom. Um, I think that's very important, especially for more so the elementary kids. Um, I think that's very huge in being organized because, you know, around that age, that's when they running wild, like with a chicken with the head cut off. So I think that organization is uh, very well um, and very needed. Go ahead, Lo. All right. This is the last question before we get up out of here, Ms. Davenport. Do you see yourself um, staying in the role of a teacher or would you like to get into administration um, and, and eventually, you know, doing something, doing something, um, greater or bigger in education, uh, where do you, what do you, what would you like to do in the next five years? My goal is to definitely, um, transition out of the classroom into, I wouldn't say administration, but maybe like, a, a coach role where I get to work with other teachers or, you know, something on a larger scale. Um, I'm not rushing that process though, because I do think that, I don't know, I think I know that what I'm experiencing right now in the classroom is going to inform whatever path I take when I'm ready to transition out. Um, and I know I'm going to need these experiences when I take that role because way too often, and this is not even a Hamilton County specific thing, because I've seen this in PG County too. People get jobs because of who they know and not what they know. And I think when you're talking about education, that is way too important to let nepotism inform your decision of who takes this role. Whether you like that person on a personal level or not is not the question. Because y'all don't have to go to happy hour when you get off work. Y'all can just go home. But does this person know what they're talking about? Are they making decisions that are in the best interest of as many kids as possible? Because you're never going to make a decision that's great for everybody. But are they doing what is best for most of the kids that we serve? Um, I've been, my boyfriend is pushing me to like think about school board and I hate politics, but I know it's so integral in education right now that like, there's really no way around it. Um, so that's something that I have like entertained, like if I want to go that route. Um, but yeah, whatever I do, I know I want it to be something where I can just impact the lives of more kids, whether that be through preparing better teachers or going into administration or being a part of the school board or doing community work. Um, a lot of people don't realize how important it is to have a strong community around your school, especially at a school like Howard. There's so much work that we do from nine to four with our babies, but I can teach my butt off and counsel my butt off and give the best advice. And all of that can get undone when they go home. I have no control over what happens to my kids 
when they're at home between Monday night and Tuesday morning. I have no control over what happens to them over the weekend on breaks. Like when those shootings happen, I was like texting my kids. Are you okay? Are you good? Like just check in with me. Are you straight? Do you need anything? Um, And so like all the things that we practice, whether it be emotion regulation or like coping mechanisms or all of this stuff can get undone because of the environment that they're in. And I'm just like, I wouldn't have to work so hard at that if they had it at home, you know? So like kind of a call to action. If you a community organization or if you claim to be down for the community or you want to get involved, there's so much need. You would not have to look very far to figure out where to go. And like, you can hook up one of these community centers, reach out to your local high school. Like, you know, if you're in a Greek organization, like get in these communities, our kids need it. They need it so badly. Um, it's, it takes, it literally takes a village. There's almost 1600 kids just at Howard and probably every single one of those kids needs somebody they can look up to or somewhere to go. Coaching softball, like a lot of my girls want to play, but a lot of them want somewhere to be other than at the house. So we need to provide those avenues and those outlets to let, to give kids a place to be. You know, I always was raised with the saying that I don't mind is a devil's playground. So let's give our students something productive to get into. And like, this is my last little tangent. A lot of people think that my kids at Howard or kids at Brainerd or kids at Tyner or wherever are, you know, they ain't worth nothing. They We're not cranking out scholars. Our kids are so behind, da, 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 da. That may be true. However, on a cognitive level, when you are looking at the capacity and what their brains can do, there is no difference. And I stand by this. There is no difference between my kids at Howard and the kids at Macaulay or Baylor or East Hamilton or Signal Mountain or wherever. The One of the biggest differences is that when my students go home, they're going to home, they're going to work. Summer breaks, they're sitting at the house, they're going to work. Winter break, they're sitting at the house, they're going to work. Kids at other schools that have more access, they can go places and do things that help them cement their learning, right? If I teach the French Revolution to my students and they go home to the West Side, there's really not anything in the West Side that they can look at and say, oh, that kind of reminds me of what I learned about today. But if a kid at another school gets to go spend spring break in France with their family, if they even get to go to New Orleans and spend time in the French Quarter, you know what I mean? So it's not about our kids being less than. It's it's a big conversation about access and what they have access to and like all of the experiences that they get to have because very little of the content actually speaks to what they go through in their daily life. Um, So it's just kind of like I'm teaching it to you, but really what does that mean for you and your experience? Not a whole, whole lot. So yes, definitely get out in these communities um, because there's there's need and there's so many beautiful, wonderful children that will absolutely change your life if you take a chance and take a second to get to know them as human beings. But yeah, that's my piece. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yo, she just dropped so many gems. Do you hear me? So many gems. Um, Ms. Davenport, I just want to say thank you. Um, and I also want to give you your flowers uh, while you're still breathing and while you're still here with us. 
so I want to say thank you and, you know, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being in the education space. Thank you for getting your bachelor's degree in psychology and wanting to take a trip to Miami to help um, Hispanics and, and making your class fun. But most important, um, why I want to say thank you is I want to say thank you for being intentional. Thank you so, 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 so much um, for being intentional with wanting to build relationships with our babies, with these students, with these scholars, and using your voice for good. So I just wanted to say that. And uh, before we get out of here, um, Dante, you got any anything you want to say? Um, just uh, Ms. Davenport, how can I reach you? as far as Facebook or IG, whatever, you know, in case anybody needs help as far as um, dealing with bilingual students. Um, you say you're on a few boards, anything like that, you wanna network. Like like we said, this goes out to the world. So, hey, somebody, we just had somebody on here from Arizona. So they might call you and say, hey, Miss Davenport, she says she's talking about she might wanna move because what happened. How can they reach? Um, it's just Chandler Davenport on Facebook. My hair is not magenta. It's definitely like this golden brown color. Um, and it's Chandler Davenport on LinkedIn. And I'm okay. I'm an open book. Like you know, I love it's, I love especially talking to new teachers um, and just kind of helping them navigate their journey. So yeah. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Cool. Well, guys, listen. This is the class in session. Class in session. Class in session. <laughs> class in session podcast uh i am your host logan taylor with my amazing co-host my partner in crime my brother oh man me and him have been through so much uh dante hampton and before we get out of here chandler again thank you so much um and in closing like we always say uh why be normal when you can be extraordinary extraordinary. all right we'll see you all next week all right hey peace make sure y'all subscribe all right